Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance, with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Rurong Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYour6Coffee.com, where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country? Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Jesse Gould. Jesse is a pioneer in psychedelic therapies. As founder and president of the Heroic Hearts Project, he spearheaded the research and acceptance of ayahuasca therapy programs for military veterans. Jesse has raised over $200,000 in scholarships, partnered with the world's leading ayahuasca treatment centers, and is researching psychiatric applications with the University of Colorado Boulder and the University of Georgia. His mission is to help military veterans struggling with mental trauma and spread awareness of the benefits that ayahuasca therapies offer as an alternative treatment to pharmaceuticals. Jesse has spoken globally about the benefits of psychedelics on mental health and has been recognized as one of the social entrepreneurs to watch for in 2020 by cause artists. Jesse, welcome to Get Up Nation. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Jesse, let's get right into this. Very excited to speak with you today. We have been discussing a lot with people recently, the research and the the value of psychedelics and treating post-traumatic stress and, and many other things, to be honest with you. I can't wait to tap into your insights and expertise here. First off, will you share a little bit about your journey? What was the start of your service in the military? Why did you volunteer and what led you to serve? Yeah, of course. And I just want to address probably the, the elephant in the room because I know a lot of people tuning in right away, they'll hear psychedelics, they'll hear veteran, generally all sorts of preconceptions and stigmas come about. Right. And so, you know, I just want to start off by saying, you know, this is not what you think in terms of the 70 view. We're doing this very systematically and there's been some, you know, pretty amazing results, life-saving for a lot of veterans, special operations guys from around the world. You know, so, so my, my backstory and going into that, you know, I, I grew up in the, the D.A.R.E. generation, just say no. Followed that pretty, pretty regularly. I had no interest in doing psychedelics. I never even smoked pot to this day. just wasn't for me. And I always kind of, you know, I was open to people doing whatever they want in their, in their, in their house. But for me, it just seemed like an escape or seemed like self-medication. 
I was in finance for a little bit. I joined the, the military, enlisted, and I was an army ranger for a number of years, which included three deployments to Afghanistan. And during my military career, had a great time. I really enjoyed it. It really made me who I am today. And when I got out, I was planning on going back into finance. Didn't really have a specific trajectory, but was open to the newly restored freedom. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it at first, but the, the longer I was out, the more I realized that there was some issues that I wasn't properly addressing. As I've mentioned in other, to other people, it was almost like this dark cloud that was ever present and just getting darker and darker in my life. And, you know, for a while I could ignore it, you know, through traveling. Eventually I had to use a lot more alcohol to ignore it. And I just found myself in this position where I was, unhappy more days than I was happy. And on a weekly basis, that is not a formula for success. And I couldn't shake it no matter what I did. I, I tried all sorts of life behavior changes, exercising more, journaling, social meetups. I learned how to cook, all sorts of different things to the point where I even went to the VA with the sort of the notion of, hey, if they can give me a therapist to somebody to talk to, maybe I can shake this. I, you know, obviously I'm not, I'm not handling it on my own. And so I went to the VA. Unfortunately, they, they let me know that they're aware of, of this, but because they're at such capacity that unless I was willing to do their whole protocol, which included prescription medication, that they really didn't have the, the ability to, to see me beyond a month. And so I kind of walked out of there, essentially left to my own devices, which was very disheartening, very frustrating. And so I continued to ignore it, continued on with my life. But I just fortunately had some sort of internal mechanism that I guess was, you know, flashing that red light. And I just knew that I had to make some sort of major change. Otherwise, some unhealthy life choices would probably lead to some irreversible decision. I didn't know what that was, but I just had that sort of self-assessment at that time. Around that time, I, I was working in an um, international corporate finance company. And at first it was great and I was doing well, but it just started really eating away my soul <laughs> going from ranger <laughs> to corporate, corporate America was, was definitely a hard transition yeah. and it just enforced that unhappiness. So yeah, I heard about ayahuasca, which is for those unfamiliar, it's a, a psychedelic hallucinogen that comes from the combination of two plants. It's native to Amazonian culture. So in South America, the combination of two plants brought together in sort of a drink, you drink it and it causes a psychedelic experience that can last for four hours, generally pretty intense. I'd heard about it, interested from, you know, like watching some documentary on Netflix or whatever, however that, that turns about. And again, I had that sort of a, that stigma of like, oh, that's not for me. Like people can do it, but that, definitely not. But at that point in my life, I, it just grew in my head and eventually I just had to take that leap of faith because when I read about it, I heard some pretty amazing stories and I'm glad I did because I, I ventured to Peru. I ended up leaving my job and it really transformed my life in terms of having almost a step up on some of these issues I was dealing with. Amazing. So you went to Peru. So will you go through that experience? Like were there troubling things that you saw in the military that were leading to these behaviors? I don't know to what degree you want to share any of that. But obviously, what you found there in Peru is quite significant. Will you share a little bit about your personal experience in Peru or to whatever level or degree you want to share? Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, this is my life now, so definitely open book. 
I was fortunate through my time as a ranger, I, n- I never really experienced anything super traumatic. Nothing like you, you know, you see on a movie of, of a horrible sort of scene. You know, the normal wear and tear of the movie, just in that high action state, exposure to a lot of, you know, intensity, stressors, going through all sorts of different training modalities. You know, no matter what, a lot of people come out of there and they're, they're, their brains are altered, whether it's chemically or, or emotionally or, or to what level. I was a mortarman too. And so as we're learning now, I, I do believe that the concussive force that I was consistently exposed to had a big effect on my mental issues afterwards. For those that aren't familiar, they're, they're showing traumatic brain injury is more and more being associated with PTSD-like symptoms, depression, anxiety. So it was a combination of all those. And so when I got out, I think a lot of veterans have the same sort of suffering is that they look back at their their career or they look back at their experiences. And even if they did see something traumatic, a lot of people can go through that pretty easily. Like the people have different resilience towards trauma, and especially in the special operations community, trauma doesn't necessarily affect a lot of those guys in the same way. And so it can be actually harder for them on the outside to admit that they have some sort of issue, some sort of PTSD or whatever you want to call it, because in their brain, they they can't associate it with anything. And that's really how we've been viewing PTSD incorrectly, in my opinion. And so I always had that same sort of notion of like, like, I'm fine, like nothing, I could process all that at the time, but I don't understand what's going on. But like I said, it just sort of built up and eventually I just couldn't ignore it anymore. And so when I went to Peru, I did all my all the research. And like I said, this this was an informed decision. It wasn't just like, oh, okay, psychedelics, cool, this is my <laughs> next step. I, I, I read extensively about it and there was some early scientific literature that had some indication of, hey, this could possibly be used in this method. This could explain the stories that we're healing or that, that we're hearing. This could be the, the way it works with the brain. And the more I read about that, the more it kind of altered my opinion to the point where I was like, okay, let me give it a shot. So I went there, I found a reputable spot that I, I assessed, did it safely. And typically the way these work is it's over a week period you go to a very isolated retreat with some other people. I went to Peru in a place called Iquitos in the middle of the Amazon. And over the course of a week, you have the option to do four ceremonies. So as I mentioned, the ceremonies last about four or five hours. And so when I went in, I was still very skeptical. I was nervous. I had no idea what I was getting into, not having done psychedelics at all and going into one of the more intense ones. And honestly, the, the first two just straight kicked my ass. Like it, they, they, it, was, it was a challenging experience. But coming from, I think, the military background, there is almost that love of pain in, in a way. And so I think that, that made me respect it more. If it was just this sort of club med experience, I think I would have walked away like, uh, this is not for yeah. me. The fact that it challenged me and it kind of put me in my place, I think that helped me understand the, the power that, that, it, that this could potentially have. So through the experience, it really, the reason why it was so hard for me is because I have a very controlling brain and want to control everything. And so it, it started loosening that up to where a lot of the anxiety that I was building up was that over control of the situation. And I think that's pretty common with military guys coming from that regimented sort of mentality. That's not to say now I'm just all laid back and, and, can't, and can't do it, but it, it was to the point of unhealthy levels. And so through it, for mine, there was, weren't too many like super profound moments. The, the, most of the, the messages or the, the realizations that I had were 
just relax and, and, you know, take life as it's coming. You don't need to know everything that's going to happen. But really the biggest effect that I saw that I guess made me a true believer, so to speak, was just how I felt afterwards. Mm. And that led me to believe that there was actually some sort of physiological change in my brain to where what I tell a lot of people is it felt like it defragged my brain, so to speak, where if you defrag a computer, it's a process where over the course of the life of a computer, you're saving files, you're deleting files, you're saving files, and it just, the memory gets kind of inefficient. And so defragging kind of reconfigures the memory on your computer so it runs more efficiently. And so it really felt like that in my brain where before on looking back, it felt like almost warring states going on where different parts of my brain and personality were fighting against each other. For the first time, it felt like a cohesive unit at peace, just almost felt lighter. And this continued afterwards, you know, to this day, obviously, where certain things that would trigger anxiety, especially in social situations, being in those crowded bars or crowded rooms where you kind of have that hypervigilance. That no longer affected me in the same way. I no longer just had the the anxiety reaction, and it wasn't. It's not like a mental process. It's it's in my from what research has shown, it, it's more of a chemical or a hormonal response. And so that's really what we're trying to pursue of understanding the mechanisms, both on a therapeutic mental side, but also on that physiological side, like what's going on with the chemistry in relation to these substances. What you're talking about here is a healing process. These things being used as medicine, and this is not, like you said, it's not a club med situation. This isn't just for entertainment. This is about finding, you know, deep healing. Am I right? Yeah, correct. And it's healing on on multiple levels. It's really sort of changing the way we view and potentially treat mental health. It, It hasn't caught on in the, the, the general population right now, but behind the scenes and, and the way we're working, you can see it's really catching on. And in the next five to 10 years, you're definitely going to hear more about these treatment modalities. Right. And so the way we, and including the BA, have, have viewed and try to treat mental health in the past is almost how they treat anything else. You know, you have a broken bone or you're sick, take this pill, get some rest, you should be good in, in three to five weeks or whatever. <laughs> So with mental health, it's the same. Here's your, here's your anti-anxiety. That doesn't work. We'll give you another one. We'll kind of regulate it. They don't even understand the full effects of these SSRIs and other medications. They just kind of know that with a lot of people, it works. Not knocking medication, it saves lives. And I'm not saying that we should you know, just get rid of it, but we do definitely need more options. The interesting thing about psychedelics, especially the plant-based ones, is there's this complex interaction with your with your brain with your mentality which is also very complex and on one side it, it seems to help people heal through almost a enhanced prolonged exposure therapy so for instance with the ayahuasca sessions what often happens with the veterans that we work with is that they will go back and almost face their demons or face their trauma head on in this sort of psychedelic realm where they can do it, but they are protected in the same state. So it's almost like almost this dream state. That's the easiest way to understand it, where you can go and, you know, face these things that you're either burying or suppressing, or like with a lot of veterans that have that that issue, if they see something traumatic, it's a story that keeps replaying, replaying, and they can't get past that. So this almost allows that story to go to its end course and not 
be have the person be stuck at it anymore. And then, like I mentioned on the other side, there's also that physical dynamic where a lot of sci- uh, the early studies right now are showing psychedelics, including psilocybin, which is mushrooms, ayahuasca, which has DMT, actually potentially promote neuroplasticity, neurogenesis, possibly balancing some some hormonal levels. And so those are interesting because for people with traumatic brain injury or people that because of the stressors of the job and the trauma, those those things all alter the brain chemistry and often cause depression, often cause anxiety. And so if these substances can either heal or sort of restore some sort of balance, that is huge. That's tremendous in conjunction to the, the therapy side. There, there's nothing that we've, there's no medication that can replicate that. Yeah, it's exciting. I think there are some psychedelics being tested by the FDA. I think 2021 is when the studies come to a conclusion. Is that where it may become available more widely? Yeah, yes, correct. It's it's moving. It's been moving at a pretty snail's pace, but there's a lot of great people, very vigilant people, you know, that have dedicated their life, especially to helping veterans. And it's very admirable. The reason why it's been so slow is the the way our drug policy is structured. A lot of these substances, including EC cannabis, they're at the highest level of restriction. And unfortunately, it has become sort of this catch-22 where it's become nearly impossible to research these things because they're so restricted. It limits the ability. It's so hard to work with the universities. It just costs tens of millions of dollars even to initiate a study. And then because a lot of these are plants, there's not necessarily the economic incentive for a Pfizer to invest that kind of money. And so they, they have been pretty much stopped at, at any sort of research, which is unfortunate. And that's for people that have that question of like, well, why aren't these available? Why haven't re- researched it? Is because it's been nearly impossible. But like I said, some people have been really pushing. They've all been crowdsourced. So the first one, which depends on who you ask, it, it's it's kind of on the borderline of psychedelic, but it's its own substance. It's MDMA, which is the the chemical, the main chemical in ecstasy, the the, the drug that people use in parties. And so what they found with MDMA, and they, they've, knew, they've known this for, for decades, is that if you have a controlled amount of it under the administration of a therapist, it really opens up people to where they're more trusting, their emotions are more available. And so there's an organization called MAPS that has been leading this, and they're at the third stage of FDA trials. They've been just having miraculous results. So the FDA have declared it a breakthrough therapy, which is a huge designation, which it means that it's significantly more effective than any other therapy treatment out there. And so it's been accelerated. Once the third stage trials, once they, they, they go through, then it will be legally, it'll be legal for therapists to administer to, to patients. So that should happen 21 or 22, depending, you know, COVID has slowed a lot of things down. But just, just for the results of that, the last trial and even this trial, they've shown high 70% success rate in complete recidivism of PTSD-like symptoms, which is huge. In comparison, the VA, their, their current treatment protocol at most has 33-34% success rate. So this is double, if not more. And then the other psychedelic that is getting a lot of attention right now, psilocybin, which is the chemical in magic mushrooms, that's still an early stage, I think stage one or stage two but also been declared breakthrough therapy. So that should be following a couple of years afterwards. 
I want to get into this, your organization. It had to be a profound feeling for you to walk away from your job, to go to Peru, to take on this experience that you had been preparing for and researching before doing it, really setting out a new unknown, getting there, and then it becomes something that you're sharing with others. And they'll be in the link below here for the listeners to look at the video that you sent me of the veteran who you've served. And so will you share a little bit about how you had this experience, you made this transition, found that it's, it was extremely beneficial for you, and then you sought to give that to others. Will you share a little bit about what Project Heroic Hearts is and what you do there? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, after my own experience, like I said, I, I just instantly saw the potential of it and beyond a point where, you know, like I said, I was going into skeptical, I was going in skeptical. So I know like placebo effect. I know if you want something to happen, then oftentimes it does. But the way it definitely hit me and the way there's lasting effects that I just couldn't explain away really made me believe that this could help a lot of people. And even if it just helped one or two similar to myself go on that right trajectory, then that's success in my book. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know that, unfortunately, there's a suicide epidemic among the veteran population. So if you just save even one or two of those lives, then that's worth all the effort. So immediately going after there and also seeing all these pretty amazing stories of the other people that, that went to the retreat, I started doing more research. I was traveling around. As I said, I left my job and trying to figure out what the next steps for me were. Like, what did I want to pursue? But I wasn't quite sure. I still wanted to do finance in some sense or use some of my business skills, but I wasn't sure. As I was thinking and as I was traveling, it was just that sort of gnawing feeling of like, hey, you have this, this knowledge now. You know of this thing that could potentially help a couple of people at, at least. And so I researched it more, saw, the, saw more studies of why ayahuasca in particular could work. I talked to some buddies that were still in Ranger that were in Special Forces. And you know, across the board, they're like, okay, that sounds a little weird. But if you say it works, you know, I'm for it. At a certain point, it just became, okay, well, I have to at least do my part to share this information for anybody that's searching for it. You know, at the very least, I don't want people to have to start from ground zero as I did and do all the research and go in there unsure and not really know which center to go and not have the preparation. And so that was the the main sort of goal of Heroic Arch Project when I founded it, just to provide that 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 access, that that ease of use. And so then since then it's evolved to not only providing that information but also for veterans interested, we provide grants so that they can finance, it helps them out financially get there. And we've developed a program around it to set people up for success as, as following sort of traditional therapeutic protocol as much as possible given the infrastructure. And so, for instance, a veteran will come to us, we have an application process, we vet them to make sure that there's not any health considerations or anything like that. We have you know, a team that we can go to if there's any sort of question. We've vetted a few centers in various countries, mostly uh, South America, just to make sure the ethos align, to make sure that they're doing it professionally safe. They have a, you know, a lot of these places have been doing it for 10 years, no issue, no, nothing scary. And then when we were able to, we, we bring groups together, groups of veterans, and arrange these sort of retreats. And we have coaches to prepare them, set them in the right mind frame, and then on the tail end, we have re- reintegration program, which is, okay, so let's say you, you go, Ben, and you have this profound insight, or you see your life in a different way, or you realize like some of the mistakes you've been making, some of the loops that you've been caught in. Great. So how do you 
effectively incorporate that into your life, right? It's knowledge is one side of it, but action is the other side. And so that's where the integration part comes in. And that's where the, the further support comes in of, okay, how are you going to set yourself up for success? How are you going to hold yourself accountable? How are you going to keep on this path? So we try to develop that, that program as, as much as possible. And we've, we've had some, some great results through that process. And we've worked with, in, we've worked with veterans from like three or four different countries, special operations all over. So we've worked with SAS guys in Australia and the UK, special operations guys in Canada, Green Berets, Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, all sorts, and, and other veterans as well. And so as, as we progress, we've, we keep getting some pretty significant results. And it's just, it's always, I'm, again, I always go in a little bit nervous of like, is this real? And as, as the results start stacking up, it's just too much to, to ignore. And so we're trying to do our part to, we're, you know, we're not, I'm not trying to push this. I don't think it's for everybody. I don't want people to go if they're not interested, but if they do, and more and more as information is getting out there, I want to have them have the safest path towards it that sets them up for success. Right. So these are not necessarily legal in the United States, correct? So it's something where, you know, when they're going to care centers outside of our country, can you just speak on a little bit of the legality and that side of this? So on the, on, the, on the front end, we are a 501c3, which is a nonprofit designation. So, you know, for whatever that's worth, we are registered in the US and the IRS approved of what we're doing in, in some weird capacity, obviously. <laughs> there are a few places in the US that have religious exemption because there are some religions around it, loosely based, but those are still kind of gray area, just given that it is a schedule one drug in the US. So that's why we mostly operate in Latin America, because in the countries that we work in, it's legal. It has the, the indigenous tradition. And so, you know, the, the government protects it there. And like I said, these centers have been doing it for decades. And this, these traditions, especially with ayahuasca, date back millennia. Like this is not something that was just invented. This has been used by tribes for, for years and years to evolve through that process. And so we connect veterans to these spots there. And then it's their option. You know, we're not pushing it. And if they go there and they don't want to do it, that's their option. But it'd be like, you know, if you go to the Netherlands and you want, or you go to Colorado and you want to smoke pot, then you're perfectly within your legal right to do that there. It's just, you know, so we're middlemen in that way. And so what we are doing is kind of skirting that line of the US, but it's completely within the legal right because... That's, you know, when, when people are in that country, there, there's no issue there. And that's important, too, because we don't want people to be nervous about, you know, we don't want that lingering over their head if it's right or not. And at GetUp Nation, as you know, we focus heavily on resilience. And a vital component of resilience is consistently caring for ourselves while we also commit to serving others with our energy, talents, resources, and skills. How does your continued service at Project Heroic Hearts not only enliven your heart and mind with healing your own wounds and struggles, but on a greater level, serve those who are suffering? How satisfying is that for you to do that commitment of serving others, of bringing this good thing to, to other people after you've been helped? It's that spirit of service that is profound in creating legacies of positive change. Can you speak on that a little bit? Of course. I mean, it's definitely a love-hate relationship. Anybody who's started a nonprofit knows that. But I mean, I wouldn't continue doing it. One, if it wasn't necessary. And two, if I didn't feel like this is what I need to do. And, you know, I think that speaks highly of a lot of veterans. You, you just see the, 
amounts of nonprofits that come out of the veteran community. And especially as the VA lags behind, especially on the mental health front, veterans, my organization, and there's a few others, not necessarily psychedelics, but across the board, they're, we're the ones that are trying to solve this issue on the private level. And that, that is very indicative of the veteran spirit, which I love. Right. And especially seeing guys that are struggling, that are a shell of themselves, go through our process or other processes and come out with life restored in them, come back and, and, and just almost a new person. That's finding that resilience again, that they feel like they lost. That's amazing. And that's one of the things our program teaches is when a lot of veterans get out, part of the trauma is enhanced because they lose a portion of their life. So one, they lose that brotherhood. A lot of them kind of feel isolated, move to different parts of the country and are disconnected from their friends. And two, they lose that sense of importance, that sense of purpose. Like myself, going into corporate world is no match for doing something on a day-to-day basis as hard as it is that you feel like makes the world a better place or that is protecting other people. And I believe a lot of veterans go into the service because they have that warrior spirit or that spirit of wanting to serve others, willing to risk themselves for the sake of the whole. And so when they don't have the ability to do that, then I feel like that eats away at their soul. And so oftentimes what we teach in terms of that resilience is you no longer are a part of this. You're no longer fighting. You're no longer part of that, the warfare side, but you still are a warrior. And so now that you have this new purchase on life, use that same sort of spirit, use that resiliency to do good for others or to fight the war of, of whatever you see unjust or unfit and, and use that energy for good purposes. And that I do feel like is an important part of anybody's healing process. They can get as far and you obviously have to heal yourself first, but if then they are able to turn that around and pay it forward, help others in whatever capacity they see fit, then that enhances themselves that enhances their community. And that just really works with I think it gives people that sense of purpose that they're missing. And so I do recommend to a lot of people, whether it's our mission or or some other mission, that they should really consider some sort of purpose. And even things like this, this podcast, I'm sure you get a lot of purpose from that of of helping people share their stories and connections and and all that. And it's important. Yeah, I love that. And so many veterans do a survivor guilt, coming home, losing teammates and brothers and sisters during combat or losing them to suicide after. I don't sleep well unless I'm doing something to make the world better because the families who have lost you know, sons and daughters during these wars, they sacrificed, you know, either their entire life or portions of their body, or they're dealing with mental health challenges afterward. And I can't sleep at night unless I've made the way I say it is honoring their sacrifices, making an America or in a world that's worthy of their sacrifices. Just thinking of, of the people who have done so much and volunteered to go and were sent and did what they were ordered to do. And oftentimes losing their lives and families losing their family member. How amazing is it in honor of all of that sacrifice to live your finest life in honor of them who can't live today to heal the wounds within so so you're not ruled by isolation you're not ruled by alcohol you're not ruled by your shame or your guilt or your survivor's guilt or or anything like that and actually in honor of those who have sacrificed so much living your best life that is constantly inspiring to me to create a world in honor of our fallen that's worthy of their sacrifice and so this is profound 
that what you're doing, it's the same thing. You're creating a finer world for, for all of us by helping people navigate their challenges, be more resilient. And like you said, these scientific facts are coming out. I mean, there's tremendous potential here that, that we're looking at where you know, some of these things are happening in, in just a couple of weeks. People are getting outcomes that are better than years and years and years of therapy. It's exciting to see people like Tim Ferriss, you know, taking this on and, and Sam Harris and all these people who are trying to get this heat land yourself, trying to get this process into our experience so that people can heal to a greater degree and heal from some of the most difficult challenges people face. And I just admire your commitment to this and your continued service today. And I'm excited to see what you and others like you are going to, to create for our generation and the generation to come. Where do you see this going? What like gets you up in the morning that inspires you to keep doing this every day? I obviously appreciate the the kind words, and you know I agree with you 100. percent And just on a, a addendum to that, on the individual level too, people don't have to start their own organization or 501c3. There's very small steps you can do to make yourself and the and the world a better place. Just even outreach to your buddies if you haven't talked to them for a while, or there's a lot of local things and just small motions like that can really just build up and, and help. You know, it doesn't have to be a grand gesture or anything for, for those that are looking to do it. There's a lot of ways to help small locally. Like I said, it can be a love-hate starting the nonprofit, especially with this sort of topic that's still very taboo. It, it is definitely pushing a car uphill for, for a number of years, but there's always a light at the end of the tunnel that keeps you going. Just a lot of hope. And at the end of the day, like I said, the results are just too much to ignore. And as, as I keep going, when you still have people like years afterwards saying that they're doing amazing, I can't turn away as much as some days that I just want to like sleep in and, <laughs> and you know not have to worry about this because it is a 24-hour a day sort of engagement. But you know what happens is I'll, I'll go through the normal cycles. I'll go through those times where I just have doubts or exhaustion or burnout or or you know whatever the list is, and I'll go to one of these retreats that we reorganize. I don't go to all of them, but some of the bigger ones, and those are the most restorative thing because I can talk about you know I've worked with all these veterans, and you know some people are going to believe it or some people aren't, and it's it's hard hard for you to get that 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 sense just through my words. But when you see it in person, and I've taken a lot of people that maybe didn't participate themselves, but they were the complete skeptics. But when they see the transformation of some of these guys in person, or just the insights from after one ceremony saying that changing from suicidal ideation to viewing that as a completely ridiculous notion, it's, it's restorative. It keeps me going forward. Like I said, it's, there's the obligation there of I have to keep going for the sake of that. Whatever the outcome is, the veterans that I've seen go through this, it's pretty amazing. You know, one story, one of, one of my friends, his name's Rudy, and he was Special Forces Green Beret sniper, now to this day teaches sniping. And when he came to our retreat, you could tell he was just kind of like pissed off of being there. Just a very big, intimidating guy, a few words, and just very stern, you know, like how you would create the Hollywood Green Beret character. Mm. And just even after one or two ceremonies, just complete transformation of his life. And to this day, you know, he's still the same guy and he still teaches and he can still do his job. It's not like he turned hippie or whatever, but he let go of the things, that tension that he didn't need to have. And he just tells me stories of his 10-year-old son who's only known military Rudy. 
And it's just been interesting in the months that followed his retreat of him telling me the stories of his almost newfound relationship with his son, who was at first was skeptical because he only knew this sort of stern military guy and now has a dad that's playful that will, you know, make pancakes with him that will joke around with him. And so stories like that are, are just, you know, amazing to see. What do potential donors need to know? So as I said, we, we are a registered nonprofit. All donations are tax deductible. And, you know, we completely rely on donations. We completely rely on generosity from people. 100% of the funds go directly towards vets. I don't get paid. None of the staff gets paid. It all goes directly towards getting vets connected with this treatment option. So, you know, you can rest assured that your money is going straight to the vets. It costs us roughly around thirty-five to 4000 per vet. So, I mean, that is a lot. But if you consider, you know, this is the replacement of possibly, you know, 10 years of therapy, it's actually not that, that, that much. So you can go to our website if you are interested. Even a few dollars really helps. HeroicHeartsProject.org. We have a Patreon. If you want to sponsor a vet too, you know, we tied communication between the vets and, and sponsors, and that's been pretty effective. And so and for people that are, you know, maybe a little bit more financially able, if they can sponsor retreats, we also have been doing executive retreats where we bring in executives and we have them go through this process with the veterans. And we've had professional athletes go there. We've had all sorts of, of mixtures and they're very powerful because I, I know a lot of people are like myself. Like if I donate money, I want to see where it goes and I want to be assured that it's going to the right place. And so I think that's an amazing opportunity for people that are open. You can see your money healing yourself, but also some, some veterans and just have a pretty miraculous experience. And also, if, if veterans are interested, on, the, on our website, there's an application. We, we're starting an ambassador program, which is essentially veterans or civilians who want to help out, but don't necessarily have the financial means. We are working to empower people on the local level to start building their own hubs. So, you know, LA or Las Vegas, we're gathering around people that, you know, are willing to donate their time or expertise, link them up with veterans, and then hopefully, you know, find ways to sponsor groups in these local areas to really build that supportive community. Excellent. All right, Jesse, I was on the show with six questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you run through these six quick questions with me? Yep, of course. All right. Who are you thankful for today? I'm thankful for my family and my girlfriend. As always, today and, and, and most days, they've, they've been extremely supportive. I, my life has obviously done some weird shifts and turns. And even through this, it's easy for somebody to think, hey, you're leaving your job and doing psychedelics and starting a nonprofit with very little financial resources. <laughs> but they, they're always there to support me. You know, my girlfriend has been there from the start of it. And so now it's, it's nice to see as it gains momentum. But without that support, without that constant reinforcement, especially during the dark times, you know, it's and, and all, the, all the people that have donated time and, and, and just support, this wouldn't be that it's not a one man show, any of this. It, it's it's the, definitely the community. Hmm. And then now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? What I'm thankful for is just, especially in these times with, with the COVID and, you know, all the chaos going on, just my own health and my own where I'm at, mental health wise and general health wise. 
especially because I can see the person that I was and the path that I was going. So just that I can be here being able to deal with life and, and live it healthy, having a healthy relationship and being able to bring that to other people. You know, it's amazing. Love that. How do you fuel the fire within you? Mostly just keep going. Just, you know, when it gets hard, just put your head down. And for me, if I rely too much on the day-to-day motivation or if I feel it or not, then I'm going to have these peaks of up and down. And so for me, it's, it's move forward and then the fire will follow. Love that. What is one thing adversity taught you to value? I mean, to the theme of this podcast, resilience, that's, you know, one of the most important mental health or otherwise. And that's, that's what I value about, you know, the, the ranger process going through selection and then later ranger school is it beats resiliency into you. Otherwise you won't make it, but it is, it's one of the most valuable life skills. Life is hard. And no matter how healthy you are, no matter what insights you have, life is going to come at you with a sledgehammer and it can be beautiful because there's always lessons to learn from that, but you have to always get back up and just keep going, even if it seems dark, even if it seems impossible. What are you doing today you may have never thought you could? Just in terms of the foundation, as I said, it's gaining momentum. And I just never saw myself in this position. You know, like I said, I have a financial background. And just this week, talking to the medical staff of Johns Hopkins, I talked to a guy that makes rockets for NASA. And then I talked to a woman that is like a, a PhD in pharmacology and worked for the FDA and all sorts of, to just that sort of surreal aspect in life of like, who am I to be talking to these people? <laughs> You're doing amazing things. You deserve a ton of success here. My last question is, what will you do tomorrow that you may have never thought you could? What will I do tomorrow? Who knows what, what tomorrow brings? I think just be open for it. Life's, life's the, the adventure, as, as I realized in my, my first ceremony. There's no way for me to predict where I'd be right now, and so there's no way to predict what's going to happen tomorrow. So I think it's just always the, the, the challenge or the, the goal of being open for it. Wake up, allow the day, frustrations and everything else, and just keep going until you go to sleep again and repeat. <laughs> All right. How can people learn more about you and your amazing work? So as I mentioned, the website, heroicheartsproject.org. We're also on all the social medias. Our our main one is Instagram. So if you just search Heroic Hearts Project, we have a group on Facebook. We have Twitter on Instagram. We're constantly posting articles, like scientific articles about what we're doing, but also the advancement of of psychedelics and, and veteran causes in general. And, you know, we're, we're, I'm always open for questions. I know this can be a little bit of a taboo or a misunderstood subject. So if people are nervous or they know somebody that could use help, myself or my team's always open for, for talking to people. And like I said, if you want to help out, there's many ways that we can possibly empower you. So just reach out. 